Welcome to this week's edition of Holy Apostles Weekly Sermons. And kill it, and let us eat and be merry. 
For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son <coughs> was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might get married with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. second Sunday of the Triodion, second of three preparatory Sundays we have in the time leading up to the season of Great Lent, the Great Fast. <clears throat> and if there's one overarching theme of the season of the Great Fast, it is repentance. If you come, if, even now, if you were at Vespers last night, or if you come next week and you listen to the hymns that are sung at Vespers, you listen to the hymns that we sing throughout the week, if you come during the first week of Great Lent and you listen to the canon of St. Andrew, and you will hear this, this overwhelming, uh, what should we say, the church is provoking us to repent, pushing us in that direction. And so we have appointed to be read today this parable from St. Luke's Gospel, which is perhaps one of the most famous and beloved parables that the Lord ever told. And we commonly refer to it as the parable of the prodigal son, although that's not in the parable itself anywhere. That's a title we give to the parable. But we could just as easily call it the parable of the unrepentant son. There's a reason we don't do that, but I'll tell you later. We could perhaps even more reasonably call it the parable of the compassionate father. Because, I have to say, given the parable, he's obviously the star of the show. The parable, I think, is fairly familiar to all of us. A certain man had two sons. Now, obviously, this is uh, the, the man in this parable represents the Lord, the Lord God. 
He has two sons, and the two sons represent for us human nature. And in fact, specifically that first, or the, the younger son, the first one the parable talks about, but the younger one, who goes to his father and says, give me my inheritance before the time so that I can go and spend it however I desire. And I'm trying to limit myself. I know I have a tendency to talk too long, so I don't want to go into too much detail. But that, that whole exchange between the younger son and his father is, is, is shot through with the, the self-centeredness of the younger son and the compassion of the father, right? So what does it mean if you're a younger son and you go to your father and say, give me my inheritance? It basically means I wish you were dead, right? When, when do you get an inheritance? Whenever your father dies. So the fact that he asks for the inheritance even before his father's passed from this life is in itself a kind of a slap in the face. Give me my inheritance. I don't want to wait for your death. I'm tired of waiting for that. Just give me what you owe me. And the compassion of the father is that he gives it to him. Even though within rights he could have said no, or you know what, that's such a terrible thing to say to your father, I'm going to disown you and give all of it to your older brother. Nothing. He gives it to him. And then the son takes his inheritance and he goes away and he spends it however he wants to. In utter depravity. Which his older brother is, is quick to point out whenever he comes back, by the way. He spends it indulging all of his passions. Which is probably not any secret to us that if you have enough money, you can do whatever you want. So here's a young guy with very little self-control and all of a sudden lots of wealth. And he goes and he blows it however he wants. But we have to remember that this is a parable concerning God and the human race. And the wealth that God freely bestows upon the human race is His own image. And the response that He gets from the human race, starting with Adam and continuing down to our day, to us, is a repudiation of that gift and a desire to follow our own way. God in His mercy does not leave us in this condition. Because this parable points to us the way out. That young man, after he had blown everything, spent everything, was utterly impoverished. And now we're speaking in a spiritual sense, right? He's hit, he's hit what they call rock bottom, right? And he's so badly off that he goes and he joins himself to a citizen of the country which he has moved to. The country that he has moved to is described only as far away. Well, where are you if you're far away from God? What country are you in? You might say, well, this one. Well, that's true. <laughs> I don't mean this country. I mean this world, right? Sorry, that wasn't meant to be political. Just this world. This world. Being far from God. But who is the prince of this world? The evil one, who maintains his unjust rule over the creation of God, by whatever means he can. So in human nature, having fallen far away from God, it goes and joins itself to a citizen of the country, which is the one who holds dominion unjustly in this, in this world. And he sends him to feed the pigs. And it's in that condition 
Serving the passions when there is no more pleasure to be found in them. Then he comes to a recognition of his utter and complete poverty. In other words, he comes to an acknowledgement of how far he has fallen from his father. He sees it all of a sudden clearly. And what provoked that vision was the recognition of his sad and sorry state. And in that condition, something profound happens in this younger son. The one who up to this point we might be inclined to despise, that we might be inclined to hate or to sit in judgment over, in his heart, a tremendous mystery begins. And it is nothing short of the mystery of repentance. And it comes from an acknowledgement of the tremendous wealth that he had had and of how terribly he had squandered it. And he begins to think about his father's house and to realize that he's worse off even than the servants. Who are the servants of God? The angels. The angelic powers. He is descended from his rightful place above them to live so far below them. And he says, they have plenty. And he begins, I love it, the whole parable. I said I was going to be short, I'm not. That's out the window. <laughs> You're all sitting down, I don't care. It's a beautiful parable, right? Because in this moment of utter self-recognition, when he's brought to this profound mystery of repentance, what does he do? He begins to rehearse his confession, right? Mm -hmm. He prepares his confession. And he even says it over to himself, like he's repeating it, so that he remembers whenever he gets there what he's supposed to say. So sitting there, still in the pig pen, he says, I will get up and I will go to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He decides ahead of time, this is what I'm going to say when I get there. And so he gets up and he goes to his father. And I think it's important to acknowledge that that movement, he's in a far country, he gets up to go to his father, and immediately his father sees him while he's a long way off. So the distance is not physical. The distance is spiritual. He's gone far from his father, spiritually speaking. And the father gets up and runs to him, embraces him, receives him back with joy. And in this, it's a profound image, right? It always brings me to tears, I apologize. But in this condition, in this setting, in this very emotionally powerful experience, he begins to babble out his confession, right? He begins to say the words that he rehearsed in the pig pen. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And the response of the father to the son is silence. There's nothing to say. Because he's already been forgiven. 
It was not the forgiveness of the father that was necessary, but the repentance of the son which was necessary. The father simply turns to the servants and orders them to prepare the feast to celebrate the return of this prodigal son. Now, if the parable ended there, we would all be joyful, right? But it doesn't end there. Because there's another character that is very important for us to see. And that is this older son. He's in the field and he hears the music and the dancing and he calls one of the servants and he asks what's going on and he says, well, your brother came back. And your, brother, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's back safe and sound. He's pulled out all the stops and initiated a tremendous festival to welcome him back in. And this, un, this older brother, which I think we have to be honest with ourselves and say that we sympathize with a little bit, was angry, and he would not go in. And so for the second time, the father goes out from himself, goes out from his house, goes out to his son, and asks him to come in. And the older son enumerates the sins of his younger brother and explains why it is not fair that he should be welcomed back in this condition. And then he goes on to enumerate his own virtues. Many years I have served you and I never transgressed any of your commandments at any time and you never even gave me a kid that I, should have a, that I could have a celebration with my friends. And the father's response is, son, you're always with me. More than that, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours by right. Belongs to you. You want the kid, take the kid. But it is me, that it is proper that we should make merry and be glad because your brother, not that he's gone away and come back, but that he's risen from the dead. He was dead and is alive again, he says. Obviously, obviously, the parable is point us, pointing us in the direction of repentance. I think we look at this parable and we might divide these things up, right? Younger son, older son, passionate son, virtuous son, maybe. Probably not quite like that. And the temptation is sometimes to look at ourselves and say, well, which, where do I fall in this? And maybe we say, well, I fall in that prodigal son category, right? I've done all kinds of horrible things, but then I went to confession. And I really was repentant, and I was really sorry for those things. And Father prayed over me, and I felt the forgiveness of God. It's good. But it's not really an either-or. Because both of those sons represent for us human nature. And frequently, we don't see ourselves as this prodigal son who's returned in repentance. Frequently, we are the other one sitting in judgment over others who might be sinners but might also be trying to repent. This older brother is the spiritual brother of the Pharisee from last week's parable, right? I thank thee that I'm not like other people, like this prodigal son who ran off and blew his wealth and 
all kinds of terrible things. I think that the Lord intentionally left the parable unfinished. Because if we were to come to that conclusion, maybe I'm this older brother, and the Lord said, and he stayed outside of the house never to return again, where does that leave us? Despair, right? I see the repentance for the younger one, but I don't see it for the older one. But the Lord intentionally left the parable unfinished. How? The response of the father and the older brother standing outside, not yet having decided whether he will go back into that house or not. That's where it is. Because whenever you and I realize that we're also that older brother, we have to understand that it is time for us to repent. Are we going to stand outside, sitting in judgment all, over all the people walking inside? <laughs> what did the Lord say to the Pharisees? The kingdom of heaven is open. And the harlots and the publicans go in before you. How dare we to sit in our own righteousness and judge? And this is a key theme of the great fast which is already coming upon us. How dare we sit to judge? When if we were to turn our eyes inwards just a little bit, we would see such horrible things that if we could, we would run from ourselves screaming. And therefore, the season that the church appoints for us of Great Lent is precisely a time for self-knowledge. To come to an understanding of what is truly within us. And having come to that understanding, to refrain from this temptation to sit in judgment over someone else, but to rather acknowledge that we ourselves have distanced ourselves from the Lord. We have gone from God far away. And it is not that God withholds His forgiveness from us and that He sits in judgment over us. Trust me, I tell you, His forgiveness is already there. What remains is for you and for me to repent, to come to self-knowledge, to acknowledge our failures before God, and to seek Him out for the remainder of our days. And I tell you, if you adopt this path, which is none other than the Christian path, that we may complete the time of our life in peace and repentance, right? This is the Christian life. If you, if you put your feet on this path even a little bit, you will find God. And you will see that He does indeed forgive. To God, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, your glory, honor, and worship in the ages of ages. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Yes.